This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I have the pleasure of having Andrew Ganyu on. And he is from Rosama's Car Care in Odessa, Michigan. He and or his shop is very interested in getting into the ADOS game. Kind of going with the episode on programming that I had with Glenn Forehand, I thought having Andrew on and we just have a discussion while recording uh, about ADOS and getting ready for ADOS and equipped and stuff like that. Thank you so much, Andrew, for joining me. Yeah, it's great to be here. Looking forward to hearing your opinion on some things and uh, increasing my knowledge on the subject. Well, I, I hope I can. <laughs> we'll find out when the comments start rolling in, whether I accomplish that or not. It's kind of a hot button issue or a little controversial, I guess. I'm an open book, though, and I'll just try to tell you the truth as best I know it. Well, that's what we're going for. Before you hit me with that first question, let's take a minute to thank our sponsors, Napa Auto Tech Training. Napa Auto Tech offers three-hour virtual technical classes that can be accessed from the comfort of your home. To find out what courses are available, go to NapaAutoTech.com and click on the Napa Auto Tech class calendar link. I guess before we get too deep in the discussion, maybe it would be uh, good to go over a little bit of the groundwork of what ADOS actually entails and um, some of the different systems that are being utilized and how they work. I don't know if this is the best way to start answering this or not, but I'm going to go with we have multiple different types of, let's we'll say systems. So we're, we're kind of surrounding the car with various systems that use different technologies depending on what they're trying to do. So the first one that usually comes to mind is uh, adaptive cruise control. For many vehicles, they use a radar mounted either behind the bumper skin or below the bumper skin, behind the grill emblem. Other manufacturers have a camera. Just as, I don't want to say like standard camera, but it sees images, okay? And that's usually mounted by the rear view mirror and the windshield, behind the windshield. Those would be the two prevailing technologies for that. Of course, you have parking aid, which is how close am I getting to stuff, and that uses ultrasonic. And we can have a few sensors in the back. Most cars, if they're going to have parking aid, they're going to have it in the rear. And then more commonly, we're starting to see it in the front. Those are those little round sensors, if you will, kind of poking through the bumper skins. Another technology is blind spot or blind spot monitoring. Now, off the cuff, as far as I know, everybody's using a radar of some sort, usually mounted in the behind the bumper skins, kind of more towards the corners or up behind the rear fenders. And then we have kind of a similar technology, but they may call it like front cross traffic or something like that where they're mounted in the front in a similar position, either in the bumper skins or up in the front fenders. I mean, after that, you start getting into like LIDAR and infrared, stuff like that. And they use that for various things. I'm sure there's even one I'm forgetting about. 
that should be mentioned, but I mean, those are the heavy hitters. Those are what you're going to be calibrating the most. You won't be calibrating ultrasonic sensors all that often. Some manufacturers require that you test the angles of those sensors or you're going to input their height or something like that. But for the most part, I can't think of a calibration specific to them that's very common. And then after that, not to just keep droning on here, but we have two types of calibrations. One is static and the other is dynamic. Static involves targets of some sort. We're going to set up the vehicle, place targets in specified areas, specific targets, specified areas. We're going to put the vehicle into some sort of a calibration mode or maybe a zero point calibration mode of some sort. And dynamic is we put it, no targets involved. We put the vehicle into that calibration mode and we could drive it under conditions that each the manufacturer suggests or requires. With those different types of uh, sensors and calibrations, does there seem to be a correlation between which type of sensors take which type of calibration or does it just vary based on manufacturer? Either manufacturer or maybe more so the whoever's building the system. So you have Bosch is one of them and then Continental is another uh, common one. Always whatever the manufacturer says. Okay. And then there's even some systems or at least car manufacturers that give you a choice where you could do a static calibration or you could do a dynamic. And the funny thing is when you start doing this, you're going to almost always select dynamic, especially on a hot day. But (laughs) And the AC works. So it's really hot out, really humid. AC works doing dynamic. Oddly enough, you find out in many cases, the static can be faster. A few of them will give you an option, static or dynamic. And then I would be remiss not to also say some of them require both. So you're going to do a static initial, if you will, initial setup, initial calibration, and then you're going to follow that up with a dynamic test drive. But I would not be able to say that one radar is always static, camera is always dynamic. That's absolutely not the case. So as far as the equipment then, if you had a capable scan tool, you could theoretically start doing dynamic calibrations tomorrow if you had service information and a scan tool that was capable? Yeah, I can't think of a reason why not. Uh, A couple of manufacturers may have something where they want you to level a sensor or check the angle of the sensor, if you will, not implying that it's so expensive to go get or that you can only get it in a big kit. But yeah, for the most part, I would say with a minimal amount of tools, a capable scan tool that puts the vehicle into that calibration mode, service information, you can start doing some ADOS calibrations right now. So do you have a just a rough percentage of what you see static versus dynamic, or is it just, again, very? It's probably almost perfectly 50-50. I'd have to go pull it in our system, but I don't think I would be too far off to say about 50-50. Besides service information, obviously that would let you know when it needs a calibration and that would be your first go-to. Besides that, are you having a lot of people that are just coming in asking about calibrations or body shops or? Absolutely not. (laughs) 99 point something percent of all our calibrations we do for collision shops. And then 
the next highest number would be for our shop. And then after that would be other shops. And then after that, clients. Clients do not come in asking unless they have a warning light on or they can tell it is wildly off. That's only happened a couple times. And both times it was actually the, the light was on, a warning light. Yeah, by far the most we do is for collision shops, local collision shops. I'm hoping the number we do for customers, our clients, starts going up and other repair shops because we've started using something called HunterNet. You can copy and paste the VIN into this. It's primarily to give you like alignment specs and procedures and stuff like that, but it also tells you if you do the wheel alignment, does it need a calibration? To find out if a car needs calibration, of course, you're you should be referring to service information. Unfortunately, it's not always super easy or super fast to go get and find out, like, when do I need to do this? And then some of them kind of change positions. So some manufacturers started out after a wheel alignment, it needed a calibration and was that way for a while. And now that's not so much the case. It may have more to do with how much did the thrust angle get changed. I was just trying to help my surface advisors be able to quickly find out as they're giving estimates to people. We recommend a wheel alignment. It gets hooked up to the alignment machine and then the Hunter machine. We use Hunter. I'm sure the others do it very well as well, just like Hunter does. But it'll pop up and say, after doing this wheel alignment, you should be doing this calibration. Well, now you're going back, calling the customer saying, oh, yeah, our alignment isn't 109.99 or whatever the number is it's going to be significantly more. I want to be able to give empower them to be able to tell the client right away. Like, okay, I've, I ran it through the system and it's suggesting that if we do this wheel alignment, it's going to also need this calibration. This will add this much more. And this is right from the manufacturer. If we have to then use that as a clue to go to service information, print something out, send it to them, backing up our claim because... I got to level with you. I don't want to call it a fear, but I don't like the idea of we're trying to be that honest, honorable repair shop, doing things the right way, trying to at least reasonably well, telling a client that if we're messing around the wheel alignment, it's going to need this calibration and it adds a fair bit of cost to that service. And they call up shop B, shop C, shop D they don't do their due diligence. They don't look it up. They've been doing wheel alignments for 30 years. They've never had to do anything like that. They've been aligning newer cars for the last few years. They've never done that, never had a problem. Makes us look bad, really demonizes us, which is worse than just looking bad because now we're looking crooked. We're being the honest shop and they're not. And ourselves. And I don't mean looking out for ourselves by the bottom line. I'm not talking about like pure profit, although I suppose in a roundabout way it is because we're also trying to cover our tails legally. So this will probably come up again later. But I mean, we live in a litigious society. If they say it needs it after we do this service and we don't do it and something happens to them, it could come back on us. So and I'll probably reference something to try to hammer that home. A little bit later. What was the name of that service again? HunterNet. Is that a paid service or resource online? Yeah, I think it's a paid service. 
but I don't think it's that much. And for all I know, if you kind of talk to your salesman, that cost could be significantly reduced, if not eliminated. Something good to keep in mind for sure. Yeah. And you have to go through the the salesman anyways. So you have to call them up and say, hey, I'm kind of interested in this program. Through one of your updates, you'll get a kind of a passcode, if you will, and you can get signed up. And then after that, I don't know if it's a, just a small fee every year or whatever. But to me, if it can inform my service advisors quickly that this should be upsold and then they the more focused research when it happens so they can see that it re- requires a calibration they could go to service information get a document to then present to the client rather than every car looking which maybe sounds really lazy but they're busy and if we can do this efficiently and accurately and i hope it's accurate it should be better for everybody so as far as calibrations go, uh, how big of a space do you have at your shop and how big would you recommend? I had to move it out of our shop. So I'm now doing them all in the middle of the street. Just kidding. I would, but there's too much road ground. I didn't have a space in the shop that was quick to open up to do most of the calibrations. And then some of the other ones, I absolutely did not have enough space to do. The pain is... You're going to have your regular shop's going to have a space dedicated to ADOS, or if it's not dedicated, whatever's in that space can be very quickly cleared out. It's hard to do. It's so hard to do. So we ended up finding and uh, renting, if you will, uh, leasing a space that allows me to quickly make a room for, I think it's about, I think it's 50 by 60. Normally, I don't need that much space. I use about half of that for the vast majority of what I do. But very quickly, I could have a lot of room to do whatever I need to do. And it ended up being the floors nice and smooth and flat. I don't want to blow it out of proportion either or or exaggerate. It's not like picturesque in there. It serves its purpose. The floor ends up being quite level, quite flat, smooth. It works out really well. And then the lighting actually started out quite perfect. It wasn't that great. They went in and put in some really good LED lights. Well, sometimes that isn't the best thing because we can get shadows or glare. Pro- more more problematic is the glare can cause issues, either the glare on the target or really on the camera, on the windshield itself. Radar doesn't care about light. <sighs> it sounds like a cop out. The best answer is... As much as you can get. Right. But you have to look at what the, what are the cars I will be servicing. That was going to help a lot. If you're going to be doing... Or 360 cameras, then... Yeah, you need space. And it's got to be flat. And living where we live, you and I, doing it outside year-round is just not reasonable. And d- depending on even everywhere else, lighting conditions and ground conditions, stuff like that can affect it. I don't know. I know some people do it outside. They set up, not tents or, but whatever, some sort of canopy type of thing. Yeah. They set up some canopies and maybe help with the lighting conditions and all that. So the vast majority of us should probably try to find a space suitable for it. I know a lot of calibrations can probably get done right on the alignment bay, uh, especially uh, a lot of camera stuff. But you still need quite a bit of room in the front. Most people don't set up alignment bays quite that way, where the alignment rack is set away from anything in the front of it for a fair distance. 
whatever that would be. We'll just say for a number 20 feet. It's just not very common. And then also, if your alignment rack isn't set into the floor, would you have to compensate for the height of the rack somehow? I would say the aftermarket calibration systems give you the means to do that quite easily. Off the cuff, I'm not aware of too many that are set up to do it right on the alignment rack. Most of them want it in a flat space level within two degrees and the target set wherever. They're not they're not really doing it on the alignment rack. If you're doing that, now you're compensating. And if you do it the right way, it should work. It's kind of one of those things though. Every time you'd start deviating from the manufacturer's procedures, you're taking on a little bit more and more risk. And so then we get into risk management conversations. So as far as that goes, you said aftermarket ones would a lot of times compensate for that. How do you feel about that? If you are going to use aftermarket tools, have it in an environment that's as close to the OE procedure as possible to mitigate risk. For pure efficiency and productivity purposes that you would like to have a dedicated space that you don't want to be tying up the alignment rack fighting a calibration our alignment rack for the most part stays fairly active doing alignments so i'd rather be i'd rather not be in there taking up time trying to get a calibration to go so yeah i try to get it into the best conditions possible to, to follow procedure and give me the best chance of passing quickly and accurately, of course, but. For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa AutoTech training available near you. Napa AutoTech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa Autotech training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Autotech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Autotech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Autotech offers, contact NapaAutotech.com. As far as the system goes, you mentioned aftermarket and uh, OE. What is your preference? Uh, what do you find works? Does one work better than the other? Or do you have a recommendation for someone that's looking to get into it? Should they just go out and buy all the OE targets or buy an aftermarket one that will cover 80% of what they're going to see? You have to be aware of something called the John Eagle case. And I think there's others like it that aren't necessarily 
like that specific situation, but uh, I know from like tire repair stuff, if you don't repair a tire the way the manufacturer says you should, you're liable. You can find court cases online that, where this has happened, but the John Eagle, that's the one we should, we have to let that affect us. We have to be aware of it. We have to just kind of have that in the back of our minds. And John Eagle is a collision shop, I believe in Texas, that did some work on, if I remember right, a Honda Fit, and they replaced the roof. And probably amongst other things, but if I recall correctly, the main point of the case and everything was they replaced the roof. Honda says the the procedure is to weld or spot weld that roof on. The collision shop used a, what I found out later to be a very industry accepted procedure of epoxying it or gluing it. Most collision shops would have said that is a, that's a darn good repair right there with no sarcasm, but it's not what the manufacturer requires. So the car goes out, gets in a terrible car crash and people are very hurt, maybe even died. And the collision shop was held liable because they did not follow factory procedure. So there you sit. I'm not trying to scare anybody because now I use auto, top done, and factory stuff. Offhand, I can't think of any other aftermarket ones that I have. There's other ones out there. Hunter just came out with their own. Launch has one. Hella Gutman, Snap-on, Bosch. Is it Chief? Texa. Texa has one. If we go buy a refrigerant machine, an AC, you're going to buy a new AC machine, R1234YF, and you're looking at them, whatever ones you can get right now, there are SAE standards that these machines have to meet or do meet, right? They're listed somewhere in the manual on the machine. ADOS is not like that. There's no standards other than what is in factory procedure. Those are the standards. That being said, if you've ever used some of these factory tools, they are rinky-dink, okay? Wood, it's PVC pipe, but that's, that's the factory procedure. That's the factory equipment. Again, risk management. I feel that if I follow the procedure properly using the aftermarket targets and systems, that they will calibrate just as well, if not arguably better than some of the factory stuff. But I'm taking on, potentially, taking on some risk. Because if I get sued and I'm standing in front of a group of 12 of my peers, are they going to believe me when I show them the factory tool is made out of wood or PVC pipe and uses strings and chalk and I'm using lasers? Are they going to say like, well, yeah, yeah, doesn't matter. That's something I have to think about. Also, if you go OE all the way, if you're servicing many car lines like we do, all makes all models, that's a lot of time, research and effort and money to buy all the factory tools. Honda had a pretty nice bulletin for equipment, but most of them don't. They don't help you too much about what to get. You can't call up the dealer and say, hey, I want to start doing ADOS calibrations on blah, 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 car line, your car line. And they're like, oh, you need kit, blah, 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 and kit, blah, 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 and kit, blah, 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 blah. There's nobody 
probably nobody in the building that would have a clue because to them, it just shows up with an invoice and they have to pay it. They don't know. So you're going to have to start going through service information, reading the procedure, seeing which kit you need, moving on to the next one. Where the aftermarket, usually you have various levels of kits and you order it and it's kind of all there. And you talk to somebody that kind of knows their stuff and they can tell you what else to get. So you mentioned you have several OE ones. Is there a specific reason why you bought those ones? They weren't included in kits. The first calibration equipment I ever bought was the Toyota Trihondral Triangle Target. That was the first one. Bought it legit. It was like $300 and it's made out of wood. It's got like a wood base and a wood shaft that the metal triangle target, if you will, mounts to. So I felt really ripped off, but you know, it's the real deal. Friend of mine and I were walking around a trade show one day, Vision specifically, and he had he was working for a company that did a lot of ADOS calibrations and they did everything OE across the board. And we walked through the yeah, the Autol booth and then this is well before Top Done. So I think it was Autel and oh Bosch. And he just kind of said something like, You you cannot tell me that these aftermarket tools are inferior to some of these factory. He didn't tell me what to do or anything like that, but that weighed on me a lot. I just kept thinking about it. And another thing to think about is, let's say something happens. Let's just say somebody's using whatever aftermarket tool and a quality one, right? And they follow the procedure and they either did on that specific calibration or they have done it on calibrations where they've compared it to factory. So where that gets dicey is a lot of times the aftermarket tools do not use the same measuring points that the OE or factory procedure does. But when it's done, that's in exactly the same spot, measuring off a different spot. So I feel like I'm jumping around here, but we're definitely in the same area of conversation. I don't think it's, I don't feel too bad about it, but Autel added a feature to the standard frame called the IA800, where it's using cameras and reflectors very much like an alignment machine. And that cuts down setup time significantly, but it is not measuring off the same place the factory tool or factory procedure would have you measuring off, right? But if you compare the two, they're in the same spot. Well, usually. Okay, usually. I'm going to cover my tail here. There are times where it's wrong, that, and not to get overly defensive either, but sometimes OE procedures are wrong too, printed wrong, right? You find out a bulletin or something where it got published incorrectly. That's not, I don't mean that to be overly defensive or anything. That's the reality is they usually end up in the same spot. Early on, I think some of the aftermarket tools were trying to resize targets, making them smaller and taking advantage of something called forced perspective to be able to shrink the space required to do calibrations, right? A camera can't tell. Okay, most cameras, monocular cameras cannot, they don't have depth perception. So if I take a smaller target and move it up closer and I put it at the right spot, it can't tell the difference between it being two feet away or the larger target being 10 feet away. It can't. There's no way. 
that kind of didn't work too well. So I don't know anybody that really does that anymore. They started to, was not going well, abandoned it. As far as I know, most, if not all, are all the right size targets. They're the same as the factory. I guess the really roundabout answer to your question is, are you confident in risk management? And I guess to finish a thought I had, you're using a quality system, you're following procedures, and down the road, something happens with that car. And they try to come back on you. And it's something like the John Eagle case. And you're found guilty by using aftermarket tools. That would be something every aftermarket tool, equipment manufacturer, distributor would be very interested in and very much would want to be heavily involved in because if you're found guilty, even though you followed procedure to the letter, but because you used an aftermarket system and target, you're guilty. Nobody will buy an aftermarket system ever again. And the ones that have them are going to try to get rid of them. They're going to go all OE. We have to factor that into it. What are the chances of that? So I, I don't know that if something would happen like that, if I'm drug into court, is any of these aftermarket tool companies going to sh- send representatives to, to get my back? I don't know. Logically, I think if it got big enough, like not so much the dollar amount, but press-wise, logically, I don't see how they can't turn a blind eye to it. Because if I lose... They're going down too. Yes. They have as much to lose as anybody. They're never selling another system again. It seems like in cases like that, they usually go after who has money and, you know, it could even potentially end up going to the aftermarket supplier if you followed a wee procedure in their directions. I don't know how that works, I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't even pretend to know. This, I'm not giving out legal advice. I'm not an expert by any means. At some point, There's a lot of aftermarket companies making a lot of aftermarket tools to do some of these procedures. And if they thought for a second they're going to sell something to somebody that if they were go to court and lose because they used an aftermarket system, it wouldn't hurt just that company. It's they're all going down, at least the ADOS stuff. Right. So Snap-on would have just as much interest as Hotel, as Topdon, as Launch, as Hella Gutman. It would be a big deal. And I could be imagining all this too. So what I find logical isn't always <laughs> that logical, or at least not in the world of law. Yeah. I started out with the Autel system mainly because it was going to be, I was going to have a very dedicated spot. And at the time that had the most coverage. And that's what I was worried about. Cause I just see so much, so many different things. I don't want to say so many freaking cars, but it's like, I never know what's coming in. And I wanted to cover my butt as much as possible. So I had that for a couple of years and then I kind of seen the Autel MA600, the it's kind of a mobile frame and then Top Done has had theirs and it just seemed like, and not seemed like it is, it's so well built, the, the, their mobile frame, the mobile, I think they call it like a mobile plus and the targets they had for mainly cameras, I felt they're very sturdy. So my Autel ones, you roll out onto a kind of a magnetic board. So you can have a bunch of targets that don't take up too much space. I'll roll away into old compartments. Yep. The top duns were all solid, right? They didn't roll up. They're solid, full-size solid. I kind of like that. And 
just like scan tools or immobilizer tools, key programming tools, sometimes you just need an alternative. This should work. It looks the same. The setup's the same. You switch tools and it works. So yeah, I got the top done system. And again, it's like, what are you going to do? Where are you going to be doing this? Are you going to set up a van and go to the shops and do these calibrations? It's the top down mobile or the Autel MA600. Those to me are your choices. If you're going to be, you have a dedicated space, then the Autel standard frame or they have a new one out. I think it's IA900. It's also kind of an alignment system. I don't have that one, but a couple of my friends do and they love it. If you're more into the Euro heavy, like almost exclusively, I think Autel would work, but it'd be hard to not go with like the Texa or Hella Gutman stuff. I know Hella Gutman for sure has been going in Europe for a long time. I think Seth Thorson just picked up a different, a new system. I think he told me it was a Texa. So that'll be really interesting. And that guy does, he does his research. So, and you're going to end up buying OE stuff here and there anyways. You're going to have to supplement everything. Hopefully I answered your question. Covered all the points and it makes sense as to how to try and make a logical decision that you feel is going to set you up the best for success in the cars that you see and protecting yourself. Along that same line, outside of just the equipment that you choose, what else during the process are you doing to protect yourself as far as documentation and pictures and all of that. That's another place where the aftermarket stuff is very friendly. So I have Autel on top done. So that's what I can speak to. The report systems are set up to help you document. So you can take photos, add them to your report. And so that's really what we do is document the process, take photos of our setup. And then we have a copy of the report. Customer has a, or at least who's paying the bill, the collision shop has a copy as well. I mean, that's for anything though, even for just standard shop procedure on any service in the shop. That's just the way it is. It doesn't matter if you're doing a brake job or a tune-up or any sort of job in the shop. The best way to go about it to reduce your headaches is to have more headaches during the process of document. That's good advice and it's probably something we're going to have to get more used to now. Maybe we should have a lot sooner. We should borrow from our uh, FAA brethren, other professions, medical, dental, it's document. And certainly FAA, everything's documented and signed off. I don't, not saying I know where we stop on it, but I know we should start just in general documenting more. You ask anybody that's run into headaches, not just ADOS, but just shop procedure, trying to get paid. Customer saying, I didn't authorize that. Well, if we documented, document, documented, and had the signed estimate, it works out usually better for us, or at least gives us a fighting chance. So if you're going to have 20 or 30 pictures on every car you calibrate, do you just have like a Google Drive that's dedicated to ADOS? Yep, dedicated to reports, but yeah, that's exactly what we do and makes it very easy to share, send where we need to send it and find it if we need to find it. A while ago, I had created a dedicated email for reports 
so that I can email reports off scan tools that doesn't flood the shop's email. And then it's just kind of dedicated. And then we send all the ADOS stuff there. It's searchable. It's stored. We have to buy more space. We'll buy more space. Won't even think twice about it. So one of my concerns getting into this, I guess, is if you hang out in any of the ADOS Facebook groups for any amount of time, it seems like every other post is, well, I'm working on such and such a car and I can't get the calibration to go through. Can't get the calibration to go through. Is that that big of an issue or do you have issues with that a lot or most of the time are you just setting up what you need and the answer is yes but it's usually because something's wrong so again we're doing a lot of stuff for uh, collision shops you find things aren't i don't want to say properly fixed but they miss something or the bracket didn't look bent but it is or it got hit way over here and it, we still, we needed to replace the, the camera or the radar. For a while, we were having issues with windshield calibrations, but that was mainly aftermarket glass. So the glass itself is causing issues too? How would you even arrive at that conclusion? No, I almost started out asking. You got OE glass and you might be paying me. Maybe not the full-blown twice, but you might be paying me twice to do this if you put aftermarket glass in and I can't get it to calibrate. That was a big issue. It was wildly inconsistent since the glass shops or uh, glass businesses that we've been doing calibrations for have switched to OE. It's pretty rare, pretty rare that we struggle. That Then if there is a struggle, a lot of times it's just, I, I suppose we'll just say technically poor setup, meaning the lighting in the shop that I'm doing this is causing an issue with some glare. So I have to put a diffuser up or maybe lay like a, a moving blanket on the dash or on the hood or something. Cause the lighting, if it's really like brilliant lighting can cause some issues with glare, depending on the system. Maybe I read the instructions wrong. Some car manufacturers, I got a level with you. They don't make it easy. They want you to set a plumb bob down from a spot underneath, underneath the bumper area. And it's not well-defined. And so, yeah, sometimes you kind of, you got to fight it a little bit and you just learn. And again, document and maybe write yourself a note somewhere. So take a photo of it so you can maybe search it. It's like, oh, I got this car again. I have to do this calibration again. Last time I got my butt kicked. Where was, oh Yeah. Let me look that up. Okay. I got to hang the plumb bob from here. But it's still, I want to say like overwhelmingly, most of them go through no problem, especially the windshield stuff. When they went to OE glass, it's almost a surprise when they don't go through. And, and the collision stuff, like I got two collision shops. If something doesn't go through, it's so rare. It's so rare. I think I had a, a Kia, the radar for the adaptive cruise control and wasn't just won't go through and it's so odd static measure the radar and it's two degrees high so reset that goes through not a terrible deal but it's still you got to pull the bumper skin off which is early in the procedure to pull it off measure the radar put the bumper skin on and then uh, calibrate but sometimes you want to see if it'll go through right away and, and then you're going to get the ones that beat you up a little bit and you're you got to have the shop or you 
somebody's taking it apart to uh, find out what's going on. Wherever the uh, camera radar is mounted is not where it's supposed to be. The angle isn't right. When I say that, I'm almost thinking specifically blind spot. The radar is in the back when they're, especially when they're in the kind of the quarters that you can't really see. Uh, and then they pull it all apart and you measure and then you find out that, yeah, that's tweaked. And again, as, as we keep working together and moving on, this stuff doesn't happen all that often because they're clued in on it. They know to look now. We're all buying equipment to address this stuff early on so that the calibrations just go through more smoothly. It's advantageous for them to have it set up correctly when they send it to you and makes it easier for you too. There's a couple of resources out there. One is the Maxi ADAS site, M-A-X-I-S-Y-S-A-D-A-S.com. That's the Autel site. It's free. Go to that page. Scroll down to the bottom. and It's got the coverage area. You can build the vehicle in there, and it will tell you what kind of calibration is required. Dynamic, static, stuff like that. Uh, there's another thing, if you're going to get into this, that I... Uh, especially if you're going to work with collision shops that are not doing it in-house and really have no plans of doing it in-house because they don't have the space, is uh, something called ADOS Think. And maybe there's other systems like this. I don't know about them just yet. We've been trying this. And you pay per VIN, but you get the estimate from the collision shop. So if they're using a, a common system they use as CCC, and I think it'll work with a few others, but the collision shop emails you a PDF of their estimate. You upload that to ADOS Think. It goes through and tells you all the calibrations that are required. That has helped us immensely. Is that powered by Aztec or something like that? It's Repairify, but it's probably all linked up. We do uh, some alignments for body shops and I was like, I usually look through the papers to see where it's been hit and all that. And I've seen paperwork from that company in there with a sheet saying what calibrations are going to need to be done. And I thought it was, it looked like really good information. I was glad you brought that up. Well, it's helped not just us, but it's helped the collision shop too. Like, yes, yes, we're making more money. The collision shop's making more money because they sublet it to us. We do it. They get a, a percent of that, but also it's another level of covering our tails. How many vehicles were leaving two out of the three calibrations it required or one out of the two it required or one out of the three, who knows? Yes, perfect world. Somebody is doing their due diligence to find out everything, but it takes a lot of time. And if you don't have the manpower, it gets skipped. This is just another layer of protection. Is it as good as Somebody doing their due diligence researching? Probably not. Until you get that system in place or the person to do that. This, these are some, the HunterNet, the ADOS Think. Those are ways to help you better cover yourself, at least start stacking the odds in your favor. And if you get to the point where you're doing quite a few of these, yeah, you're probably going to have somebody start doing the research and building your own database of what needs to be done. It got hit here. It needs this. Because some car manufacturers, the wording can be a little odd. Really anything beyond a bump, 
require some sort of calibration or calibrations. So now it's up to interpretation. And I think most of us would rather err on the side of caution. The other advice I guess would be is learn to follow directions. Slow down to speed up. Follow the directions. And especially when you're starting out, have both. Have the factory service information and whatever systems you're using's information and cross-check. Brush up on your geometry a little bit. Uh, If your systems come with one five-line laser, buy another one so you have two. There's a lot of information on diag.net, specifically by a gentleman by the name of Mike Reynolds. So get on diag.net, search his name, read them. It's worth every second. Read them a couple times. Print them out. Case studies or just informational posts? Some case studies, a lot of informational. He has done his due diligence. He's very much on top of it. On top of it, I hope to have him on to have maybe a deeper conversation about the ADOS world. So yeah, I, I, that would be a resource to take advantage of. Also, your training companies. So NAP Autotech Online has training, of course. I think they have in-person CTI, WTI, they're going to have online stuff. Then, of course, the there's a couple of those Facebook groups that are just invaluable um, amount of knowledge in there. And, and people, you may not like what they have to say, but they know what they're talking about, and you better listen. Probably a lot of the tool manufacturers as well have at least some sort of videos and informational training, I would think. Videos, and then at the trade shows, training expos, they're going to have training there. Usually you have one of your diag type techs doing it because they typically are good at understanding what's going on because they read the the procedure and then they kind of get it and that's why they're the ones doing it. But anybody can do the calibrations. You just have to follow the directions. And, and when you watch somebody struggle, it's always they're not following the directions. They're reading ahead. They're skipping steps. Honda. I've watched people at our shop trying to calibrate radar on a Honda. They get the target all set up beautiful and then they start the calibration. It will fail every time because it tells you flat out you start out with nothing in front of the car. So, follow directions. It's kind of like that game you used to play teachers would do on a rainy day where you can't go outside and they give you the sheet of paper with like 30 things to do and step two was go to the end where it said only do one, five, seven, and 18. But if you didn't follow directions, you're just ripping right down it. It might say top right corner, draw a triangle, bottom left corner, circle, smiley face, blah, blah, blah. But if you followed the directions, you had to do way less work than the people that just boom, right down the line. So yeah, just um, be patient and then Decide if you're going to have a de- dedicated space. Look for a dedicated space. Pay attention to specifications, namely with like lighting and floor level. I don't think static is going anywhere anytime soon. I know we think more and more will be dynamic. I'm just not sure because we have rest of world to think about and not every country besides the U.S. and the U.K. and Canada have roads that are necessarily fit to do dynamic calibration so they need static now whether they kind of do a or north america versus rest of world or something like that i don't know more and more are coming out with targets 
even car manufacturers that were primarily dynamic are coming out with static targets. So if you're going to get into this, do it now. Because if you're not doing it already, I think the clock's ticking because I just have this gut feeling you're going to start seeing more and more getting into it. And now the prices are going to start dropping and it's not going to be as as profitable. So you have a, a big investment in space, big investment in equipment, training, and now the prices are going to start dropping. I don't like the sound of that. So the ones that got into it early, they're doing all right. The ones that are now just getting into it, the risk level's going up with profitability. So if it's something you're going to get into, it's something you're interested in, do the work, do the research now, make a decision. Because I think if you wait too long, I don't know what'll happen. The equipment costs would have to drop significantly. So don't put it off for too long. Sounds good. And I uh, hope to be back in here before too long with an update of how my first calibration went. So it was about 105 in the shop. So I decided I'd do this calibration and went great. It took me 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on, Andrew. It's been a pleasure to be here and uh, I enjoyed hearing your thoughts. Yeah, hope to have you on again. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you to NAP Auto Tech Training for sponsoring and making this all possible and thank you to the aftermarket radio network for just putting up with me which that's asking a lot so until next time everyone take care you've been listening to matt fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket a to z on the aftermarket radio network follow matt on your favorite listening app he's very interested in what you have to say let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.